0: Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. We're not going to start at the beginning, but um, let me talk about the beginning for a minute. When El Elyon, God Most High, that's how God identified himself to Father Abraham. When, when God Most High began to deal with Abraham, begin this conversation that lasted Abraham's life long and has continued down till today, when he began with Abraham, he said very clearly, what I'm doing with you is to be very inclusive, it's to include everybody. And in fact, the way he said it, if you're a Bible reader, you know, God said, I will bless you And I will cause all of the nations of the earth to be blessed through you. So what God began with Abraham, he meant it to include everybody. All nations will be blessed, he said. But things happened. And the nation, the people group that came from Abraham, and never forget when you read in the Bible, nations doesn't mean nation states like we have today. It means people groups, groups of people the way we group just naturally. He said all nations, all people will be blessed, but things happened. Things happened. One of the things that happened was that nation that came from Abraham through which everybody was to be blessed, they had some rocky things happen. They went into exile because of their own sin. They went away to faraway Babylon, and they were strangers in a strange land again. And they lost their nation, and they lost their temple, and they lost their moorings in that strange land. And part of what happened during that time, during the years that the Persians were in charge, was they experienced a near holocaust. They were almost wiped out. And when they finally got back to returning to the land after being away for so long, they were threatened by the people that had moved back into the promised land. And they felt threatened by that. They were motivated by fear, fear that they would lose their faith, fear that they would forget their scriptures, fear that they would lose their God. And they began to build walls to try and hold everything together. We do that. And the particular walls that they built involved an awful lot of rules. And eventually, every aspect of their daily life was governed by some rule or multiple rules. But it was all with an idea that we want to preserve what we've got. But when they were preserving, they were also building walls that caused them to think about themselves as insiders and everybody else as outsiders. And that was tragic. There were so many rules and so many laws by the time Jesus comes on the scene. There were so many restrictions that Jesus will call them burdens, That those that create the burdens, the the guardians of the law and the teachers and all of the rest, that there are so many and they are so heavy that not even the creators of all of these rules and the builders of all of these walls could live with them. But it created two sets of people, insiders, outsiders. And that's what you've got when the New Testament opens. Insiders and outsiders. I've told you in the past few weeks about Jubilee. Jubilee was that time when every set of seven sevens of years, 49 years, on the 50th year was the year of Jubilee when all debts were canceled and slaves were free and servants were no longer indebted to those that they served and contracts were dissolved and any land that was given, it returned to a rightful owner. Even the land was allowed to rest. And the people rest for the year of Jubilee. It was a year of celebration. It was a year of freedom. And when Jesus comes on the scene, the first public act he makes is to go into the synagogue and read the Isaiah scroll that declares the year of Jubilee. And he's saying, I'm on the scene, and it's Jubilee time. And the the prisoner will be set free, and all debts will be canceled. It's Jubilee. Jesus, in declaring the year of Jubilee, the time of Jubilee that lasts even till now, is saying that all of those walls, all of those man-made walls that made for insiders and outsiders, whether they're racial laws or, or gender boundaries or political differences or illnesses that cause some people to be outside because they're ill, All of those things, all of those things come tumbling down as Jesus declares Jubilee. Now, when he announces Jubilee, the people that hear it that day, initially they're happy about it. But if you read through the entire story in Luke chapter 4, we won't. At the end of it, they scratch their head and they realize that Jubilee, the way Jesus is talking about it means that there are no more outsiders, that everybody's an insider. And because of that, they bum rush him to the edge of town where there's a cliff and try and throw him over it to kill him. (laughs) They went from being enraptured at his words to being enraged by his words, and they try and shove him over the edge to kill him. But he's some kind of escape artist, and he gets through the crowd and gets away. Those people react that way because of the way they read Scripture and the way they read Scripture tells them that they are the only insiders and the outsiders can never come in and so they're enraged by that because Jesus tips over their little tribal system and they're enraged by that. We have more tribes today than ever. There are more walls between people today than ever. There are all kinds of little special interest groups that are the insiders and the rest are the outsiders. And the numbers of those kinds of groups and the the variety of tribal groups run along all kinds of lines. And there are more today than ever. There are more walls today than ever. But Jesus comes in Jubilee to tear down all of those walls. Let Let me show you three stories very quickly. And we'll just remember them, and then we'll come back and talk about them in a minute. One of them is in Mark chapter 7. And Jesus is, of course, the center of this story. There had been long-established boundaries, and Jesus will break them. He went to an area that was an area of all outsiders. It was all non-Jews, the area of Tyre and Sidon. He didn't want anybody to know he was there. He wanted to try and be incognito, but that was impossible at this point. And when the word gets around that he is there, a woman of that region who had a daughter with a very serious problem, she had been set upon by some kind of demonic force that was ripping her life literally apart, that panic-stricken mother seeks out Jesus Now she is a Gentile, she is not Jewish, she has no claim on the things of Israel. She is in no way considered an insider. And she approaches Jesus and she begins to talk with him. But Jesus won't have anything to do with her. This is a very odd behavior for him. He goes to a, a region full of outsiders, but he doesn't have anything to do with this outsider. And she pleads with him, and he stalls, and he turns away, and he eventually tells her that he's not going to have anything to do with her or her daughter. She says it this way. She says, my my daughter is sick, and I need you to heal her. And Jesus says, that would not be wise on my part. It's not good to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. He's calling her a dog. And she answers back and says, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that the kids drop under the table. And that sparks something in Jesus. He sees something in what she says. And he says, Because of the way you've answered, your daughter is going to be okay. And when mom gets home, the daughter is healed and in her right mind. There's another story in Matthew 8. And it involves another outsider. This man is an outsider in a couple of different ways. He's a Roman soldier. He's a centurion. He's in charge of a hundred, at least, maybe hundreds, perhaps. But he's a person of some authority, and he has a a servant of his. And the servant is more than a servant, because when he approaches Jesus with the problem with the servant, and the problem is that his servant is desperately ill and may die... He shows his affection for his servant in the way he talks about him, and he calls him my boy. Now in our day, we may take that as an offense, but a Roman saying that, that was a sign of affection. And he says, this boy of mine, this servant of mine, he's ill, Jesus, and he's going to die, and I I need you to heal him. Jesus makes some pretense that he's going to go to the home and heal the sick person, when the centurion stops him with a word saying, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. He says, I am a man under authority, and I have authority. And I have authority to tell somebody to go do something, and they go do it. And I tell them to come here, and they come here. And I've got a feeling that you have that kind of absolute authority over sickness, And all you've got to do is say it. So Jesus said it, and when the man got home, the soldier got home, the servant was well. One more story. Mark 5, if you're following along. Mark 5 is an interesting story. You've doubtless heard it before. But there was a man who was full of unclean spirits. He was completely possessed inside and out, and they had turned him into a stark, raving lunatic, and he was marginalized by society, and the only place he could live, the only place for him, he couldn't even stay on the street, was the graveyard, and so he inhabited the tombs, and there day and night he would scream and cut himself, and he was a threat to himself and to anybody that would get near. He was uncontrollable. They would bind him up with chains, and he would break the chains because he was full of all these demonic spirits that controlled his life. And there in the tombs, Jesus finds him. You know the story. Jesus heals him. He sends the spirits packing, and the man is found clothed and in his right mind, and everybody marvels at that. And then the man wants to travel with Jesus out of gratitude. I never want to leave your side, Jesus. And Jesus tells him, no, what... I need you to do is go to these 10 cities, Decapolis, 10 cities, and tell everybody what great things God has done for you. That's what I need you to do. All amazing stories. All stories of Jesus breaking down some boundaries. All stories of outsiders becoming insiders. Let's pull them apart one by one. Go back to Matthew 7, Mark 7, rather. Now what's going on with that story? What's going on there? I mean, what what's happening here with this, this case? Well, there's two two strikes against this woman. The woman who has the daughter who's beset by a spirit, there are two strikes against her. Two strikes against her getting anything from Jesus. And she pleads with Jesus, and he stalls. He even turns away, and he tells her, in essence, you know, it's unwise for me to share the Jewish Messiah with you because you're not. What are the strikes against her? She's a Gentile, she's not Jewish, she's that kind of outsider, but she's also a woman. I won't go into the details, but in that day, because of the walls that had been built by the insiders, most women were outsiders. They were not even allowed into the temple complex, and a special area had to be built called the Court of Women, because women were not allowed, except in that one confined place. There were all kinds of... All kinds of difficulties that attended being a woman in that day it was all the walls that had built up that caused them to be outsiders, all of the fences that were put up between the insiders and the outsiders, and it was all against this woman as she approaches Jesus. See, she's an outsider. And that's why Jesus says, it's not right for me to take the children's food. The children, that's Israel, the insiders. And give it to the dogs, the outsiders, you. But with incredible courage, this woman throws his proverb back at him, arguing, even the dogs get under the table and they eat the children's crumbs. So let me have just a little bit that they've dropped. In other words, she's saying, you're my Messiah too. In spite of all the walls, she doesn't recognize them. She says, no, Jesus, you're mine too. Just just like God promised to Abraham a long time ago. I'm going to be blessed too. I belong too. I'm an insider too. She claims that for herself as she recognizes that he's her Messiah too. She says, I can see your authority. And he heals her child. This woman, this Gentile, this outsider in this story of give and take between her and Jesus, the outsider is now the insider. How about Matthew 8, the commander of a hundred or hundreds? He believes Jesus can heal, and the difference between this guy and anybody Jesus has met in Israel any of the insiders that he's healed. The difference is this guy believes that Jesus is good enough, big enough, strong enough to heal from a distance. Now not all people that described as Romans were ethnically from Rome. He could have been from a lot of places. He could have been a North African. He could have been an Egyptian. He could have been... An Indian, he could have been a lot of things because the Roman citizenship was something you could earn or even buy. You didn't have to be ethnically Roman to be a Roman. There's a unique thing about it. That's so what gave the great Apostle Paul so many advantages was he was a Roman citizen as well as a Jew. So not all Romans are ethnically from Rome. We don't know what this man was, but for sure he's not Jewish. So there's that. He's an outsider. But there's more. Jesus will later on predict that Jerusalem will fall at the hands of Rome. The Roman legions will encircle Jerusalem just as Jesus predicts they will. And they will starve the people out and Rome will fall and Rome, uh, Jerusalem will fall at the hands of Rome and Rome will burn Jerusalem to the ground. Jesus will say it this way and it will be fulfilled. There will not be one stone left upon another. That's exactly what happened to Jerusalem. That's why the Jewish people today so treasure what they call the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, that was a wall of the ancient temple but it was below ground. That was foundation. It's exposed today, but it was foundation then, and so it wasn't above ground, and it didn't get knocked over. But all of the rest did. Jesus will predict that, and Rome will be the culprit. There is great hatred between Rome and the Jews. In 70 AD, that temple will come down, and Jerusalem will be leveled, because of the hatred Rome has for Israel. And it's all political. This man is a political outsider. The woman was outside because of her ethnicity, because of her sex. But he's an outsider because of his politics. He's Roman. He's Roman. And that's the enemy. And we know how divisive politics can be today, don't we? There are some of you, I've talked with you. You have family members you can't talk to because of political differences. They get enraged when somebody talks about the other side. But the top politics of that day were many times stronger. And here comes this Roman symbol, this army officer, and he amazes Jesus. And, and Jesus will say he displays greater faith. He sees greater faith in this outsider than in all of Israel's religious leaders. And that's why the servant ends up being healed. At the end of what Jesus has to say, his dealings with, with this one in Matthew 8, look at verse number 10. Jesus marveled and he said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anybody in Israel like I found with this officer. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into the outer darkness. Those that were so secure in their inside status will lose it. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you just as you believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The outsider becomes insider. Mark 5, another outsider. Well, what makes this person an outsider? Again, a Gentile. But it's his untouchable status, this demoniac who's raging, he's a lunatic, he's a a madman, loose in the cemetery, and he is stigmatized by his illness, by, by the tragedy of his life that causes him to be looked upon as an unfortunate, but nobody gives him pity. Nobody wants anything to do with the guy. So he is an outsider because of his illness. But so completely does the outsider become the insider that Jesus will commission this one as his own ambassador, as his missionary to ten cities. Go and tell them what great things God has done for you. And that outsider becomes an insider. To Jewish people that Jesus would heal, you look it up. Every time, he would tell them, keep quiet. They would be healed of their deafness. They'd be restored, and and they'd be able to walk again. They'd even be pulled back from the grave, and Jesus would always say, be quiet. Keep it quiet. But to this guy, he says, spread the good news. That's how inside he is now. And that's all part of Jubilee. That the people on the outside that we look at and say they could never be insiders. Oh, yes, they can. That's part of Jubilee. There's all kind, if you will look for it and know how to find it, through the words of Jesus in the Gospels, there is all kinds of Jubilee talk there. He's always talking jubilee, and he's always talking jubilee in our lives as well. I told you a story last week about a very severe lady. Remember that story? For those that weren't here, I was asked a week or so ago to help with a... There was a person in a very good organization who was very good at what they did, but they were causing trouble in the organization because they wouldn't shut their mouth. And they were carrying grudges, unforgiveness, bitterness, gossip, and it was causing a lot of trouble. And it would potentially cause a great deal more, if unchecked, and and so I have some friends in that organization, they said, would you please come, we don't quite know how to deal with this person. Because she is so valuable, but what she's doing is so destructive. And she seems like she will not turn from it because she was convinced she was right. And so I agreed to do that. Well, the day before that meeting, I stopped at a fast food place to get a drink and a person came in. I I watched her come up to the counter as I was waiting. And um, I, I felt impressed by God notice that person So I looked at her and I thought, what do you notice? What do you notice? And my general impression, watching her carry herself and her deportment and how she talked to the clerks there, that's a severe person. That's a tough person. That's a person that when right, you cannot budge them. Severe. That was the word that went in my mind. The next day I showed up for this meeting, which everybody was afraid was going to be confrontational. I walked into the room, and it's that woman. What are the chances? And I felt very impressed as we sat down, the Lord indicating, be severe with her. Do what she does to others. And so I did. Uh, she, at one point, got kind of hostile and she said, you're firing me. And I said, I have no authority to do that. I'm not the director of this organization, but, <clears throat> but you cannot continue to do what you're doing. And this organization is not prepared to do what you're asking them to do. So she got up not happy and left. And, and it left such a heaviness that the chairman of the board of that organization who was also in the meeting, we came out and there were two or three others that were familiar with the story and, and we decided to pray and, and he was broken over it. He wept because it was so heavy. Over the next few days, I thought a lot about that lady and I thought about what a loss to the organization because what she was able to contribute really was of great value. She was very good at what she did. And she would be sorely missed. And I thought, God, what did I do there? Did I, did I rob that organization of somebody valuable? And I thought several times, maybe I should contact her and maybe talk to her about Jubilee, <laughs> about setting people free by forgiving and setting yourself free. Maybe she didn't know that. But I didn't. I didn't feel like I should. I only thought I should. So I didn't. Friday, I got a call from the the chairman of the board of that organization. And he said, just a follow up, he said she returned. That day, she had returned <clears throat> and had asked the executive director if she could come back. And she said, I'm sorry for everything. I was completely wrong. If I told you this person's age, you would say, people that age don't change. <laughs> but she did a complete turnaround. She said, I've been convicted. I was wrong. And I carried bitterness, and that was wrong. And I carried unforgiveness, and that was wrong. And I wouldn't let people go free, and that was wrong. And she said, I was a prisoner to myself, and that was wrong. So Jubilee still happens, doesn't it? Still happens. So don't ever say that someone, anyone, could never become an insider. Because in this backward kingdom that Jesus is establishing with you and with me, all things are possible. And any outsider can become an insider. Because it's the year of Jubilee. All outsiders can come in. All of them. You know what I want you to do? I want you to think of somebody who's an outsider. Maybe by their own behavior, they put themselves outside. Maybe even they have a level of comfort being an outsider. But they're outside of the mercy and lordship of Christ They're outside the saving knowledge of Christ. And maybe they're a prisoner to some things. But I want you to think of somebody you know that you would say, you know what, That yeah, they're outside. And I want you to stand in the gap for them. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly, a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.